Welcome to the Brilliant Breakthroughs Podcast, where brilliant business experts share their fresh perspectives so your small business can shine brightly. Hi, small business owners. Welcome to the Brilliant Breakthroughs Podcast, where we focus on creating brilliant breakthroughs for the small business owner. FYI, this is also the name of the number one Amazon best-selling business book series for small business. It's titled, Brilliant Breakthroughs for the Small Business Owner, Fresh Perspectives on Profitability, People, Productivity, and Finding Peace in Your Business. You can get a digital copy or also in paperback form through Amazon. We're even at Barnes & Noble and a whole bunch of other places, but Amazon, we definitely are there. Doesn't matter. Because this is a book series, I want you to know that the book we're referencing today is volume two, which is the one with the emerald green cover. So today's conversation is with number one best-selling business author from the 2018 book. That's the one with the green cover. And we're speaking with Clive Extens. So I want to say hello, rock stars. And before we jump into Clive and we officially welcome, I should probably share who I am. My name is Maggie Mongan number one best-selling business author and creator of that best-selling book series we're speaking of. And for over 15 years, I've been a master business coach and trainer at Brilliant Breakthroughs, Inc. So now that we have me out of the way, let's talk about Clive. Welcome, Clive. Hi, how are you doing? (laughs) Oh, this is going to be a fun one, I can tell. (laughs) I'm doing well, and are you ready to share share some of your wisdom with our group today? Oh, you bet. You bet. Okay, so here's here's some really cool news, folks. Clive and I have known each other for a good while. Once upon a time, he was a professor of mine, and he taught me all sorts of really cool things about management and leadership and business and operations. And when It came time to look for authors. I invited him to impart his wisdom because it's priceless. So he said yes, and he decided to write a chapter in our 2018 book. That's the volume two, the green book. And his chapter is the third chapter in that book. And I love his title. It's titled, It's All Management 101. There's something really eloquent about the simplicity of let's get back to management 101. And Clive did an excellent job of sharing why we need to go there in the book. So it's it's a great, um, what would I say, like a, a mini manual for managers and supervisors and executives. Is that a good way to say that, Clive? Yeah, anybody who works with people. Anybody who works with people, folks. So, Clive and I, we've been having some really cool conversations, and if you like what you hear, I would like for you to check out the other episodes Clive has already been interviewed on, and that's number 63, 70, 77, and 85. I'll say those again, 63, 70, 77, and 85. And we've talked about all sorts of really cool different things. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Clive is he brings research to 
our conversations. And he's going to do that again today. And last time we spoke, we promised you that we would address cross-training in this episode. And um, I, I find it quite fascinating because sometimes when I speak with people about cross-training business owners, they don't necessarily know what I'm speaking of. Or they go, yeah, 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 but they don't know what I'm talking about. And I can tell by their response. So I take them into a better understanding of what that is. So Clive, would you like to share with us what is cross-training so we make sure everybody understands what we're talking about? Oh, sure. Uh, I was introduced to this in the early 70s when I was when I first started, when I got out of the service and I finished some schooling, it was IT schooling. Back in those days, it was data processing. But uh, a JCPenney, who had a large data center, data processing center, hired uh, young guys on. And I was introduced to cross-training through JCPenney, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But cross-training basically is just giving, op- giving employees the opportunity to learn different jobs. Well, that sounds skilled in other jobs other than their own. Okay, so so I do X and you do Y, and instead of me only doing X, I might learn your Y. Correct. And that's cross training. That's cross training. Okay. Uh, tons of tons of advantage advantages to cross training, and okay. I'm I'm surprised. I'm surprised that we don't use it more. I am. And it, one, of the, one, of the, one of the easier concepts to recognize is put it into baseball parlance. And we always want our team to have a deep bench. And that's exactly in business. We want our team, or we should want our team to have a deep bench. And basically, that's what cross-training provides or works toward. Oh, okay. So instead of having people that work in silos and they can only do their job, we don't need to hire more people. We may need to cross train. So if somebody's out on vacation or they leave or whatever, um, we, we know somebody that can fill that spot. Yep. I'll talk to that directly, that specific point directly. Yeah. Okay. Get back then to get back to when we started at JCPenney, we were hired on. It's very simple. We were hired on saying you will cross train, you will you will job rotate every two weeks. And that was just part of the job description. That means you did every job and you learned every job. And for me as a young, you know, ex Navy guy getting it back into the business and finishing school. And now getting my job, my first job in IT, oh, this is great. You know, I was excited and I loved it. I really did. Then again, we'll talk about this later too. Not everybody's like me. So <laughs> we have to worry about that, that particular issue. But no, it, it was, it's a, a, an effective way to do so many things. It, 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 it's a win, win, win. You know, win for business, win for the employee, and win for the, the, the culture. Okay, so when I was exposed to cross-training, really the first time was as a kid. <laughs> you know, we came from a large family, and, and we would learn. We all had our chores, but we right. would also know how to do everybody. So 
a lot of us have been trained in this concept and the benefit of it. Might not like how we were trained in it as kids. Some of the jobs we were trained for. (laughs) Right. So you were introduced to that when you came into your civilian positions after serving our our country, um, which was a little earlier. The first time, other than my personal, in my professional work, where I I was introduced to cross-training is when I moved into a management role and learning all the different departments, that became a really important thing. And that was, that was more common in the eighties and the nineties. And it it was like a big buzzword. There was a lot of focus on cross-training and it's not there now. So let's talk a little bit more about your background with that, Clive. Well, I, I learned right away. I intuitively knew that this was right for me. And most of the, in fact, everyone, I didn't know anyone. And there was probably about a dozen of us working in this situation. A dozen of us on one shift. We had three shifts working at JCPenney. Okay. And everybody, everybody just worked two weeks in an area and then moved on to the next area in two weeks and so forth. And uh, yeah, where the areas, there was one area that we was uh, we didn't really care to do, but it had to be done. It was one of those business necessities. I was working in the back room in the collating machines and the decollating machines. You know, we had four part forms, five part forms with carbon paper between each form. And we were pounding out boxes upon boxes upon boxes of printed reports with all this carbon paper. So you had to run it through the machines, you got filthy with carbon paper, your hands, your arms, your shirt, you always have to wear a white shirt. And we, uh, none of us particularly cared for that, but we always made fun of it because it was a job that had to be done. And when our group, we always had set groups. And when our group went into this area for two weeks, we just did it and had fun with it. And then we'd move on. We'd move on to things like working the tape room. Remember the old, if you remember the 60s and the 70s, and when you see the movies in the computer rooms, all those spinning tapes, the right. tape rights that are about six feet high? Well, you have to maintain those. You'd have to, the computer would tell you, the software would tell you, take tape so and so off of this tape and put another, the next tape on and clean the heads and do this and do that. So we ran the tapes, then we ran the hard, the, the hard drive areas, the SD disks, and on and on and on. And we worked in the library for two weeks, and then you'd get, the primo job of working the console. So now we were in charge. We were like Captain Kirk, you know, just sitting at the console running all the programs, uh-huh. making sure the programs ran correctly. So, so we always wanted, that was always the, the, the job that kind of the carrot out there, you know, <laughs> but we, we understood what the jobs were. We understood the need for those jobs. And we, it just gave us, it gave us, it gave us something new to look forward to every two weeks. Okay, so this makes sense because then when you were Captain Kirk, you understood what everybody was doing and you could manage it more effectively. Right. Then when I went to Amity, I was uh, management, uh, production management in Amity Leather. Amity Leather, for those of you that don't know, is the world's largest small leather goods manufacturer. It was nestled up in little old West Bend, Wisconsin. One of our major competitors was Anger Crest, which was 
three blocks from us <laughs> in little old West Bend, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, we had, we, it was a union shop. We had uh, quite a few. I think we had up to 400 people working there. Not all union people, but in total, 400 people working at the plant in West Bend. We had another 400 at a plant in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Another 200 or so working in Puerto Rico. We had some out east and a plant out east. That was a distribution center. But we had a union shop in West Bend. And that was always that was always a fun thing. I, I mean, I, I, I'm reluctant to talk the way a lot of people talk about unions because I never really had a problem with them. You know, I had a, I, certainly I had problems with them, but no more than I would have problems with other managers, let's say. So man, managing the part of the union wasn't that uh, problematic for me. It was just another level that I would work with. And that's okay. That's part of the job too. But when it comes to cross training, and you've got a union contract, that's where you get those stereotypical comments about that's not my job, so forth and so on. Can't do that to me. Management, you can't do that to me because this is what I'm supposed to be doing because it's in the contract. Mm. But what we had at Amity, and we were fortunate, and we were, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know how it came. I came into this process, but we had one job called utility operator. And that meant you do any damn job we tell you to do. <laughs> Just... You do every job. You were the one person that could do any job when we needed you. And I, I, and fortunately, we had a young a young woman that just an excellent employee. And you know, you can't expect one person to be able to be proficient at every job in a in a manufacturing facility. Yet this girl probably could. This this woman was just great great um, attitude. And she understood her role and she was willing to do and try anything and she did it very effectively. So I remember one day talking to the plant superintendent, we we're talking about this utility operator. And I said, you know, if we, if we could have a contract where we could have 50 utility operators, we wouldn't need 50 more people. You know, we could, we could run with 50 less people. So that's another part of that. And a utility operator basically is cross-trained in everything. So imagine that with every operator. Now, one of the problems with that is you got to manage that process. But that's we'll talk about that later too. But I really, I really understood the power just in that one operator. I understood the power of cross training. Okay, so we there's there's a lot of value to cross trading. So let's talk about that a little more. What is what is the value or as you said the power of it? Okay. Well, I, I wanted to make sure that you know I I haven't been in a classroom in some years now, so I, again, I as I used to preach to you and other students, you know, if you want to learn, open up a book or three and do the research. Do the research. That's what I did. I opened up three books. Actually, I opened up three websites, but uh, <laughs> the books of today Right. And the, the first one was uh, called The Right Staff, The Right Staff. It's an LLC out of Minnesota. And this data comes from 2015. They list what they consider the benefits of cross-training. Okay. Uh, you, you re number one, you reduce costs by leveraging the, uh, the, the internal talent. So you need fewer people. It's easier to fill positions because you have a whole host of people now that know certain jobs, some know all the jobs, 
most, you know, most of the time, you know, half the jobs or a third of the jobs, but still, you know, who knows what job and you know, who does it well. And by this time you should have managed the process. So, you know, who would like to do what job. So when a job position opens up, you've got an internal listing of applicants. Okay. You already know who wants the job and who's best suited for it. You go and ask them. You don't have to go to the outside all the time. So you're saving a lot on the learning curve. You're saving a lot on operational costs to bring in new people and so forth and so on. So you can reduce costs. And, and, uh, and there's more reductions along the way, but those are some of the big ones, I thought. Then their number two, their number two point, again, this is the right staff, LLC. It grooms employees for promotion and additional responsibilities. You have your own training program built in to the process. Okay. It allows, it allows again, for visibility and transparency. Their third point was that it saves uh, on productivity. So even, even like you said earlier, Maggie, even when employees are absent, and, and you always kind of have to kind of plan for that. Not many managers do, but you have to plan for people being absent. <laughs> you know, you get a day like today, oh, three people didn't show up. They must have gone to the lake. And that, that happens. It's the reality of uh, working. And uh, when you've got cross-training, guess what? You don't worry about that so much anymore. Right. You've got people who fill in. So you don't lose those skill sets. Or when people get sick, when uh, somebody somebody gets that darn viral flu that's going around and they're off for two weeks because they can't come to work. They can barely get out of bed. Well, you got two weeks. Now you, well, now what do I do? Uh, well, rather than sacrificing some other critical area to get that person over, because they're, they're the only ones that really can halfway do the job. Well, now you have three or four people that can more than halfway do the job. Okay. And now that opens up your horizon to say, okay, let me, I'll take... I'll take Jane for the first three days, but by the end of the week, she's going to be needing on another critical project. So then I'll take Bill for those two days because I've got two or three people that can do the job. And I won't interrupt my productivity and I won't, I won't interrupt the process. Nice. Like, like I normally would. Okay. But, uh, it's, uh, guess what? It, it boosts motivation. Uh, we know from our last discussions, a few discussions, those motivational factors and this, this, by investing in employees' career growth, which is what you're doing with cross-training, you're addressing the point number four or five on those motivational needs automatically. Oh, sure. That makes perfect sense. And then they have two others listed that uh, you can staff more strategically. Again, that's because it, uh, you, uh, it reduces, cross-training reduces your skill gaps, your skills gaps. And we kind of goes in with some of the other points I was talking about. So okay. you can staff more strategically and you can use temporary help more effectively for the same reason. Because a lot of times we, we do that at Amity a lot. We'd try and bring in temporary help because we just couldn't get employees. We can we didn't have the employees there that could do the jobs that we needed. So sometimes we bring in temporary help to do that. Uh, but there's there's other there's other areas too. And then they listed those six. They listed those six and then it was in processing those six it dawned on me, well, wait a minute, I'm going to add one of my own. And I added a number seven. And it, it, guess what? It improves communication. It improves management communication. But then, then only does, it only does that if you properly manage the process. But you're forced to communicate often and effectively if you're going to do a cross-training. 
program if you're going to cross train. You have to communicate. So if you're doing it right, well, even if you're doing it half right, you're improving communication. So that was my number seven. I added seven to that one. Excellent. Well, that makes sense because if you understand what other people need and how they need it, you're you're going to communicate much more clearly. Right. Yeah, so I understand that. And that's a basic need that's being filled too in that communication isn't just talking. It's it's explaining, it's, it's answering employees' questions, whether they're asked or not. It's answering employees' questions that they have in their mind. What, why am I doing this? What are we doing this for? And you're, you're automatically filling in those gaps if you're communicating effectively. Whether they're asking or not. Yeah, whether it's a, that's a critical one. Whether it's asked for or not, it's there. They're asking it. They just aren't verbalizing it. Right. Uh, then my second one was I went to BFS Capital, BFS Capital. That's from 2017. They're out of Florida. They listed advantages and disadvantages. So let's talk about that. We'll quickly go through the advantages. Okay. There's a lot of them. A lot of them are the same. Uh, stability provides stability. Again, you got more employees. That goes to the deeper bench issue. You got more employees, knowing more skills. Simple. That should be self-evident to any manager. Right. Flexibility. Same thing. That should be self-evident. You, you're, you're better prepared. Oh, you're going to like this. You're better prepared for that black curtain. Remember what we talked about last last time or last blog with that black curtain? That black black curtain. That's the vagaries of business. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen next week, next month, next year. But there's a black curtain out there that you don't know what's beyond it. All of us suffer through that at one point in time. Right. So having a deep bench, having the flexibility of cross training, you're better prepared automatically for that black curtain. And the adversity that it brings. Right. Right. Cool. Okay, that makes sense. And then you, uh, number three, their point, number three was it's more efficient. You're growing a skilled team. Employee training is built in. You've got, this is the part I like, because this is one of, this is one of those hidden aha moments that I would get when I would cross train. And that's, you get a new set of eyes each time you bring in somebody to cross train. Look at the process. And with a new set of eyes comes new questions. And if everyone's trained to be open-minded, sometimes you learn we're not doing it as best as we could. She's got a better idea. Or we think it's a better idea. Why don't you try it, new person, and see what happens? Right. As long as it doesn't derail the train, as long as it doesn't cost us an arm and a leg, uh, you know, she gets to try it and wait, maybe it'll work. Even if it doesn't work, she got to try it. And it changed the culture. If she got to try something and it failed, and we support her in that. Right. Okay. So those are. Try it and it worked, and we changed the process because of her. How'd you like to be that employee going into a new process? (laughs) That's pretty powerful. So those. those It's very powerful. Advantages I get. What are some of the disadvantages, Clive? Well, you're working with people. So you got. Number one is sloppy, lazy management. We talked about that before. If you don't manage it well, you don't manage it effectively, it's going to fail. It's like any other process. Remember, we talked about that. I said, all these processes, we're not talking about them because they don't work. We're talking about them because they do work. Right. But do they not work? Sure. (laughs) 
you know, they either work or they don't. And it's all because of implementation, the effectiveness of the implementation. Right. So, so everyone, Clive has, has done a splendid job of sharing some really phenomenal and relevant information. Make sure you go back and listen to those other episodes. You'll be amazed. Okay, so bring the rest on because we got employee morale. Employee morale can suffer because employees are fragile. If you don't know that already, you should know that. Employees are fragile. You can be you can think you can be as tough, you can think they can be as tough. I've had it happen to me a number of times. I can go in and be toe-to-toe and nose-to-nose and fist-to-fist with these people. And as soon as they say something, they break down in tears. So employees can be fragile. And most are if, we're, if they're not handled correctly, uh, myself included. You know, we, we've all been there. Uh, so we have to manage the process. We have to understand to communicate effectively. Why, we, why are we doing it? What's happening? What went wrong? What are we going to do to fix it? Ask them what, what they can do to fix it and so forth. But uh, it's, it's sharing skills. Uh, it's got to be managed. You've got to communicate. It. The competition part of it. Guess what? Competition, we, we, play, we pay too much attention to that word in business and work. And I think it's because of the culture. Uh, marketing, movies, whole, whole host of things. We're a competitive environment. Okay. Compet- competition is, uh, can be counterproductive and quite often is. Like I remember studies showing that when we set up people, you know, well, think about it. Competition is a win-lose. Somebody's going to be a loser. Right. And I remember, and I can't read for the life of me, remember the names of the authors who did the study, but they did a number of studies showing that, guess what? Even the winners lost eventually. There was a short-term win, but the winners lost. And the losers actually became more productive. So it was really interesting to read some of that research on the on competition. But just on the one level, I think most of us can understand when we dig deep into competition, we can understand that that's fragile. You know, we do have that win-lose dynamic. So employees can feel threatened. We're asking people that do good work. We're asking them to share with other people to get them to do good work in their job. And they're very protective of their job normally. Well, I I agree with that, and that goes back to I think something else you said earlier, because I was just speaking with a friend, and she said her husband's having a tough time at work, a very well-known, large global business, and the issue is they say that they support experimentation and risk, but when they don't succeed, when the employees don't succeed in what they're experimenting with. They are reprimanded and even fired. And she said, this, this is an issue for the employees. Now everybody's afraid to do anything outside of the box. I'm like, oh, what a shame. So right. this, this, they, they have set up a different type of failure for the organization as a whole because they haven't figured out how to um, motivate employees properly, and it's now a competition. You either fail or you lose. So who wants to lose? Just yeah. stay neutral. Right, right. Do nothing. Maintain mm-hmm. the status quo. Don't rock the boat. Right. A lot, like you said, people people understand. Those are buzzwords, and people understand, well, that's not good. We want to break away from that. So we set up a plan to break away from that, like this company did, and then we don't manage it effectively. We don't implement it effectively. We haven't thought it through. 
Right. That's, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Okay. Another point found as far as disadvantages is just employee dissatisfaction. Basically, for the same reasons we've talked about, I'm very reluctant to share my knowledge, dog, on it. I don't know what's going to happen to me, and that's that's another point we're going to talk about. What's in it for me? Hey, I've I've uh, I'm learning more skills. What's in it for me? The number <laughs> one point. The number one point that every one of us, when faced with change, goes through our brain. How does this affect me? Whether whether it's stated or not. Now, some employees are great. I love it when they are great. They just come out and say, what's in it for me? Okay, be prepared to answer that, whether it's asked or not. Because it's being asked. That's being thought about. How does this affect me? That's number one. To me, that's the number one rule in negotiation is answer that question quickly. Okay. So, dissatisfaction. If, you, if that's less left unattended, Employees will just kind of implode. They'll clam up and they'll, they won't do an effective job of training people. And then that gets to the next one. Their point number four is loss of focus. Again, this is BFS Capital out of Florida. Yeah, loss of focus. Uh, we have employees that are proud of the specialized skills, the specialized knowledge that they provide. They provide the company. It gives them a sense of achievement, a sense of empowerment. And we like it. They like it. So win-win, but now we ask them to go out and do other things. And they may not be as effective at other things. So again, you have to handhold, you have to talk, you have to communicate, you have to share feelings. All those things that managers just love to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that that was our, our our comedian moment. So yeah. <laughs> This is big stuff. Oh, Clive. So then one more. One more. I, I said I opened up a book or three. This is the third one. Okay. This is called The Balanced Careers. F. John Reh. R-E-H. From 2019. And I just wanted to see if there... This pretty much covered everything... I intuitively knew through my experience, everything we've talked about so far. I've, I've, I've stumbled through it myself as we all kind of stumble through our careers. Right. So these are, I want to see if there's anything new that, you know, that again, that's what you do research for. So the first point that he brought up was that, that listen, cross training is ubiquitous. He didn't use that term. That's my term. It's ubiquitous. He said, listen, you can virtually cross train any position, any industry. How about that for a management concept? It's true. Yeah, it's just new jobs, new skills. Learn them or don't learn them. Okay. Then uh, point number two was employees learn more about all aspects of the company. Again, this is another one of those aha moments that I learned just observing the process as I was trying to develop these programs myself in different businesses. They they see how the pieces fit. Okay. They get to understand, oh, that's why we do it this way. Oh, I didn't know we even did this. Oh, I understand why we do that. Because now I work at the tail end of it. When I work at the tail end of the process, I see how that piece, those pieces fit. Okay, so that makes sense. See, yeah, they get to see the, how the pieces fit, which is, I think, just a, a critical element for any employee. Not every, not, again, not every employee thinks they need to know this, but once they do know it, 
then they think they need to know it. <laughs> okay. Uh, it reduces employee boredom. Oh. Self-evident. And guess what? It reduces absenteeism and turnover. Just think about all those all those motivational factors about learning new skills and being patted on the back and recognized for learning new skills, maybe even incentivized for learning new skills because you're more valuable to the company. Just think about what that does to absenteeism and turnover. Well, sure, because you're increasing one's intrinsic value or perception of, of the value they right. provide. Okay, I'm with you. And the manager needs to make sure that that's taking place. That they, they feel valued. They understand they feel valued. A lot of employees don't even get the tie into that. Oh, yeah, I guess I am learning new jobs. Oh, yeah, I guess I, I, guess I can take these skills elsewhere now. <laughs> Not necessarily just for the company. Right. What turnover happens anyway. But you know, you've got to tell your employee that, hey, you're more valuable not to this company as well. I mean, you are value, more valuable to this company, uh, but you're also marketable, more marketable. So again, you know, you can't be, you can't be protective and think that they're not going to ever leave you. You have to be supportive. Simple as that. I've always felt the more supportive you are, the more they'll stay with you. <laughs> you know? But yeah. if they leave, at least you've done the right thing. Sir Richard Branson is of the same belief and experience. So yeah. must work. Yes. Uh, and it's easier. It's really easier for managers to evaluate employees. Now you've got, you can you can make uh, you can. I'll, I'll jump. I'm jumping ahead a little bit there, but I'll come back to that. It's really easier for managers to evaluate employees with a cross training schedule. You built in, you built in ways to evaluate employees with cross training. So it almost forces. It's like communication. It almost forces you to do the right things. I mean, you still have to make sure you're evaluating correctly and you're measuring correctly, but that goes with the job, right? Right. But then, um, then the final one that. He talked about was a uh, well. It's actually one of mine. It's not so much his. He kind of left it at point six. You can make uh, point six for him was you can make it informal or as formal as you want. You can do it kind of off the cuff and just ease your way into it, or you can create a formal program. Just depends on, I guess, your skill level, your comfort level as a manager. Uh, most of it depends on your culture. The, the point I was going to address, kind of skipping over this, was if you, you got a new company, it's real simple. Do what J.C. Penny did. Hey, we're cross-training. That's the end of story. When you hire on with us, you know you're going to cross-train. So that's just part of the job. People that don't want to do that, they just don't hire on with you. And that, and that kind of covers that. But if you've got a, a, an existing company and you want to try this cross-training, well, you can make it informal. You can just use one department, see how it works. In fact, that's what I would suggest. Because you don't want to change the culture. It's pretty hard to change culture. Uh, so that you have to manage that process a little bit differently. So then, then you just, in fact, my suggestion there would be to, if you want to cross-train, pick one department and ask for volunteers. And the reason I say that is when I worked as a plant manager at a manufacturing facility, we had uh, three, three different unions. You know, we had metal fab. We had uh, welders electricians, and they were pretty strong, tight unions. And what I would sense was after a while, it was very critical. We had we were a fairly small shop. We only had about uh, 40 or 50 employees between that range. So we had welders and fabs and so forth, painters. 
And it was very critical for us when we had hot jobs and we were under the gun, like every other business has hot jobs and under the gun to satisfy a customer demand. We, sure enough, that's when the black curtain would drop. Our welder would be gone. He'd be out sick for a week. So there the job sits. It was a specialized welding operation, let's say. So you usually only get, you only get burned with that once. And what happened was they'd go and ask around, okay, who can weld? Who can do this welding and so forth? Well, I can't. I can't. Or I can try. And we go through that process. And what happened was after, that, after a few of those types of occasions, I'd have not only welders, I'd have electricians, I'd have uh, fabricators and so forth come up to me and say, well, I could do it for you if you could train me. I'd, I'd like to learn welding. Well, I know you, you got a union, you know. And it dawned on me, they're asking me for this. So I worked it out with a union. At first they said, no, no, you can't do that. That's not their job. And I said, well, if they volunteer for it, it is. <laughs> so like I'm commanding them to do it. So I asked for volunteers. And sure enough, I got more volunteers than I ever, ever needed. And again, forcing to do measurements. What I did was just do a, a matrix. I, kept, I put a big matrix up on the, um, behind my desk. And it was every employee in the shop on the x-axis and every job on the y-axis, every critical job that I would need help with. And I asked for volunteers. And then first of all, I said, okay, who can do these jobs? And anyone who said they could do these jobs effectively, I gave, I put a gold star in that box. And then we went from there, cross training. So here I've got 10 gold stars, let's say, out of, I don't know, probably 60 would be there and i said next year i want to at least double that mm, so okay and i said okay you let me know or you let your supervisor know when you're ready to earn a gold star it was real corny and with these rough guys you know it was a laugh but that's right. what i did for a laugh but it also got the point across and they they i want a gold star up there i can do that job so welding put him a gold star next time i needed a welder because the welder called in sick or i couple of welders were off i'd say okay go do the job you wanted to do the job you were asking for it you know you got the chance so they do it and therefore the gold star stayed there of course so i was able to with the metric i was able to say next year i'd say well we increased our job skill sets by 100 percent. we got 20 now as opposed to 10 when we started so this <clears throat> This is important because even though you're talking about a manufacturing site, this transfers over to any type of business. Any job, any industry. Any size. And I think one of the things that even solo entrepreneurs don't realize is they need to be doing this because you just don't outsource something without understanding what it is first. Right. And training people on how you want them to do it. Right. So this is something that's always been done, and it may be looking a little different in business for certain types of businesses or business sizes, but it's still happening. Yeah. So it's not like you're, it's not like a family business where you got all the kids and the grandkids working for you, and you can say, "You got to do this. You will do this. You do this, so forth and so on." Uh, you have to address it a little bit differently because, again, these people are working for you. It's an at-will situation. You want them, if you can at all, you want them to happily do it for you. You want them to. You want to show them that there's not only a need, 
but there's a need for them to do it too. You know, not just for the business that it's, it's going to benefit them as well. Right. It's, it's mutually beneficial. There's value for both parties. Win-win. And one of the neat things about it, we talked about this in a prior segment. One of the neat things about it is when that welder comes in, I'll give you, in fact, it wasn't a welder. It was a, it was a lathe operator. He is our, he was like 45 years on the job. I don't think he ever missed a day. Wow. He would, we did this. Actually, we did something different, but we, we were able to do something different because we did cross train. And he, it was, uh, we did a similar thing with a layoff situation. I just got through training a bunch of new hires. And then, of course, now we got to lay them off. Vagaries of business, the black curtain. I didn't want to lose them because I knew that we, we wouldn't get them back. So I, I asked the union, voluntary again. I said, uh, how about if we lay off from the top down? Oh, you can't do that. Oh, sure, we can. Just make it voluntary. If they, if they want to lay themselves off, let them do it. Well, this guy was the first on the list to get laid off because we had somebody to cover his machine. He says, you know, this is the first time in 45 years I got off for, for hunting, for uh, deer hunting. Because yeah. it was always the business need that always timed with some big job, of course, that he was needed for on his machine, critical skill set. He never got off. He said, this is the first time in 45 years that I've gotten off for hunting. Wow. And that's because of two voluntary, uh, voluntary efforts within unions that I allowed to take place. You know, hey, here's my, my uh, I just firmly believe in uh, having people volunteer for stuff. You, you're always, I was always surprised that very seldom did I, was I lacking. Thought, I thought it would be tough and that I'd have to really make some sales pitches for whatever that situation was. Oh, they volunteer. Some people didn't. There's lots of people. Again, not everybody's like me. So you have to allow for that. There are going to be people that just you can't train. You don't, They don't want to train. They don't want to cross-train. They like doing that job. End of story. Well, you got to understand that. And you got to be able to be able to respond to that. You know, either find a job for them that they can do that or find a different position or find a different job outside of the, your, your business, but help them because it's not their fault that you're changing your culture. So, so a great deal of what you're saying, Clive, this, this is what I, I want people to remember is it's all management 101. It doesn't have to be complicated. Nope. It has to, like I used to tell you in class, being a good manager, being an effective manager is just more work. Taking extra time, taking notes, getting back to people, talking with them, listening to them, allowing them to, when they come up with an idea, allowing them to run with it instead of saying no right away. Being able to say yes to a, a week's vacation when normally you could say no because business needs require your job to be here. But now I can say yes because I've got three other people that can do your job. So it's practical. In a nutshell, you bet. It's a win, win, win. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope our listeners have that by now. Uh, gosh, I know we could go much longer into this conversation, but we need to wrap up, Clive. So, is there any one last thing you'd like to share with us? Oh, I just happen to have one. <laughs> don't make it. 
job enlargement, which it is. It's automatically job enlargement. But find ways to make it job enrichment as well. Those are those motivating factors on many different scales. It's automatically job enlargement, which doesn't need to be negative. I mean, for the most part, job enlargement is positive. We know people want to do more. We just know that in, through experience. They want to feel better about their jobs. They want to learn more. They want to do this. Not again, not everybody. We've got to remember the bell curve. And uh, but make a job enrichment. But I think to do that, you need to make sure that they win at their job. You know that they they are effective at those jobs they try. So then again, extra management, hand holding, talking, communicating, making sure you got the right people training them. A lot of times, your best operator is not your best trainer. You may okay. even have to bring somebody else in to train them in a job that's trained before, but now they're cross-trained, but they can be a better instructor. And again, then you, then you got to watch out for how that original employee feels about that. You're sidestepping me, doggone it. Well, that's, a, an op- that's an open communicative vehicle right there. You know, that's why you, that's where you tell them the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right, right. And then they can choose how to play or yeah. not. You're- you're an excellent operator. I, 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 fantastic, but I just can't have you training this person. I need some extra expertise, and we've got other people that can train better. Just like in management, there's other managers that can manage better than me. But this right. is what we're doing right now. This is what we're doing. It's no reflection on you. It doesn't take anything away from your operating skills. Not everybody's an effective trainer. I run into that so often. Well, it makes operator at the trainer. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, there, there's advantages, but not everybody sees it as such. And it doesn't mean don't do it. Exactly. Find a way to do it because clearly the research validates it's advantageous. And be mindful of, of the, um, some of the pitfalls that are there. Build a, build a better system to address it. Right, there are disadvantages. It's not enough, again, it's not enough to go out and open up a book or three and do the research and know this stuff. Now you have to turn it into action. Right. And that's the management part of it. That's right. When you start it, you got to finish it. you gotta, you got to be prepared for all the good, the bad, and the ugly. you got to be able to know you're going to be communicating. You know, you've just got to do your homework. you got to do more work. It's as simple as that. Manager, manager has to do more work if you want to be a better manager. Well, that's, that's why they're the manager. Right. Okay, so I need to wrap us up, Clive, because we're at the end of our game. Hard to believe. But we're going to go ahead and come back and do another round. Who knows what our topic will be? We'll have time to figure that out. But for now, listeners, I would love for you to learn more, engage with number one best-selling business author and really wise guy. Clive Exes. Go ahead and read chapter three. It's titled, It's All About Management, and that's in the Brilliant Breakthroughs for the Small Business Owner book two. Plus, at the end of the book, Clive has an author page, and he lets you know how to get a hold of him if you'd like to do that as well. And here's something else that's really cool. Um, You can go to your app store and type in Brilliant Biz Book. That's Brilliant Biz Book, all one word. And download our app for free. And on there, not only will you learn all about the app and 
and see all of our podcasts there, as well as learn about the authors and the books, you'll also have an opportunity to click on a section that's called Ask an Expert. And Clive, his name is right there. If you type Clive or click on that and type Clive a message, he's going to get an email and he'll respond back to whatever it is you're commenting on. Won't you, Clive? You bet. Okay, cool. So there's all sorts of fun stuff for you to do on that podcast. But most importantly, um, I want to thank you, Clive, because you just you just gave us a business class in a nutshell. You gave us a great lecture. Well, thank you. <laughs> you did. And it made and your examples made it very practical for people to understand. So listeners, I want you to really think about what Clive shared today. He's pretty dang good. Thanks, Clive. My pleasure. Nice to talk to you again. Thank you. And listeners, we appreciate you listening to the Brilliant Breakthroughs podcast, where you learn about how to create more brilliant breakthroughs for your small business. We'll be back next week. So until then, shine brightly. Thank you.